I have finally seen enough. Donald Trump will be indicted by a federal grand jury. So wrote national security lawyer Bradley Moss in a column for the Daily Beast after release of a heavily redacted FBI affidavit detailing the justification for the extraordinary search of Donald Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago to retrieve stacks of government documents that didn't belong to him. While many of the most pertinent portions were blacked out, the affidavit detailed how the FBI had retrieved 15 boxes from Mar-a-Lago earlier this year. What was in them, mixed in with newspaper clippings, personal correspondence, and other items, were 184 unique documents bearing classification markings, including 67 marked confidential, 92 marked secret, and 25 documents identified as top secret, where, according to the affidavit, unauthorized disclosure could reasonably result in exceptionally grave damage to the national security. Moss suggests these findings alone could be the basis for charging Trump with multiple federal crimes, including obstruction and unlawful retention of classified documents, as well as even possibly a section of the Espionage Act dealing with gross negligence in the handling of national defense information. But is the evidence that has been made public so far enough for Merrick Garland's Justice Department to bring the first criminal charges in history against the former president? We'll discuss with Moss on this episode of Skullduggery. I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. I will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help me God. 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 I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. And Victoria Bassetti, our other co-host, can't be with us today. So uh, Clydman and I just got back from vacation. Uh, once again, while we're away, the world goes crazy. More evidence comes out of Donald Trump's conduct and his potential legal exposures. A lot of people are worked up over the classification stuff, and unquestionably, it's serious. And, you know, were he anybody else other than a former president, I think it's a pretty good bet he would be facing federal charges very soon. But I'm not sure that there aren't a lot of complications here that you know are going to drag this out at the least. We, we did have the federal judge who signaled her uh, intention to name a special master to review the documents the Justice Department um, seized at Mar-a-Lago. The Justice Department responded as we are recording this on Monday, saying that they did find a limited number of privileged documents that they had taken from Mar-a-Lago. That's going to rile up the MAGA crowd. But I still think there are a lot of unanswered questions here. Yeah, the whole thing about the special master and you know, privileged documents is a bit of a sideshow that's not going to matter in the end, other than, as you say, riling up the MAGA crowd. But I think the more salient issue you know, that you put your finger on before is, as you put it, if he were not a former president. Yeah. Well, he is, a, he is a former president. And this is a classic case of people looking at you know, alleged criminal conduct and evidence through the lens of either politics or the law. And the reality is for Merrick Garland, as much as he says that, you know, he is not going to consider politics, he has to consider 
the optics here of uh, prosecuting a former president unless the case is absolutely, you know, ironclad, you know, open and shut. Um, there's no room here for taking risks or for the possibility of losing the case. You're going to have to, you're going to bring this case only if you know that you're going to be able to win a conviction before a jury. And then you have to really scrutinize uh, the evidence. Um, you have to scrutinize the laws and you have to look at the precedent of bringing these kinds of cases, acknowledging the reality that uh, there is no precedent for right. actually bringing a case against a president. But still, this idea of that lawyers talk about, it has to be similarly situated to other cases that, that they have brought in Of course, in the there past. is nothing similarly situated no, but to in terms Donald of the, Trump's in, conduct. But in terms of, right. The, but right, yeah. but in terms of the facts and the conduct, you know, that that is, um, you know, going to be really important. Look, look, I, I think the big problem is here. There is still so much we don't know. You, we have that affidavit and like much of it is just blacked out, you know, references to witnesses who have been speaking to the FBI. You know, what did they say? Who were these witnesses? But the big question is, do they have Trump's fingerprints on retaining and potentially using these documents for some purpose? Look, he returned in response to the subpoena. He returns 15 boxes of documents. Correct. And they have all these highly classified material. The FBI becomes concerned based on you know witness testimony that there might be other material there that hadn't been returned in response to the subpoena. If true, that is, you know, on its face obstruction. But was there some reason Trump retained some of these documents and kept others? Did he have a motive for keeping the particular documents that he did not return in response to the subpoena? Did he plan to share them with somebody? Did he have intentions to do something with them? Uh, I think those are kind of the key questions here. And I think you got to have Trump's fingerprints on the key decisions that were made here in order to ultimately bring the yeah. case. They may have them, they may get them, but we don't know whether they do or not at this point. Look, the fact that they sent back 15 boxes of documents, you know, can cut in two different directions. On the one hand, I guess you could say, well, they sent back these documents, so obviously they were trying to be in compliance uh, with the law, and the ones that they kept were ones that they believed uh, they could keep. On the other hand, the fact that they did hold back all these documents, many of which had classified markings on them, could also be construed as evidence of obstruction. You know, we're going to give back a bunch of documents, but we're going to conceal a bunch of others that we want to that we want to keep. So you're right that there's a lot we, we don't know yet. And I think it's hard to make assumptions uh, based uh, uh, too much, too many yeah. assumptions based on what we know so far. Although I will say that even without the specific evidence that Trump's fingerprints are on all of this. If you just, you know, knowing what we know about Donald Trump, it is not, you know, you don't really have to stretch your imagination too far to the come to the conclusion <laughs> that he wanted to keep these documents, that he believed he owned these documents and nobody right. else had a right to them, and that he wanted them because they're cool, and he wanted to sh probably show them to, to, well, to yeah, people. Well, yeah, but look, you're making a lot of assumptions there. I'm, I'm not, not saying, I'm not you don't saying need evidence. you're wrong. Yeah, and I'm, not, and I'm not saying you don't need evidence for that. You do need evidence for you that. You need the but testimony. But he's not the most skilled 
alleged criminal in the world. So I wouldn't be shocked if the Justice Department either already has evidence or or will find that evidence. And one other thing I want to just uh, bring up is a lot of people have pointed out that uh, with the Republican political fortunes changing. There were not a lot of uh, high-ranking Republicans out there this weekend on the Sunday shows, and um, the ones that were there didn't really want to talk about the Mar-a-Lago situation. But when they were forced to talk about it, people like John Cornyn and I think John Sununu as well in, in New Hampshire, Chris Sununu Chris in New Sununu, Hampshire, were governor. bringing up this, right. this notion that isn't it interesting, isn't it odd, isn't it a bit of a coincidence that this all this Mar-a-Lago stuff is coming up only, you know, a few months before the midterm elections, suggesting that it was part of a Biden administration conspiracy to distract people away from inflation and gas prices and yeah. Joe Biden's, you know, poor performance. And that's just patently Absurd. I don't mean to be an apologist here for the Biden administration. No, you're absolutely right. There's just not a scrap of evidence to suggest that that that's what's motivating the timing of the Justice Department was motivated by by election concerns. It was it was clearly, you know, the timeline of a we're trying to get these documents back for a year and a half. The archives gets frustrated. They go to the Justice Department. The Justice Department does a subpoena. They get some, but not everything. So at some point point, you know, they ha- they felt they had to act. Exactly, um, exactly. Right. And, and, you know, the reality is that if Donald Trump had met their requests to return all the documents on the, you know, when they when they had asked for them or even a year after they had asked for them, yeah. he wouldn't be in the mess that he's in right now. Right. The political, not partisan political, but the, I think that there is a larger political part of the equation that Garland has to figure out is, is this the case you want to bring against Donald Trump? We, you know, we spent, what, the last you know four months talking about January 6th and the really compelling evidence about Trump's efforts to overturn the uh, 2020 election, which looked pretty serious to a lot of us, right? So, you know, which which do you lead with? I think it's a fascinating question. Um, you know, it the, all the January 6th stuff looked really serious um, and appalling and potentially criminal. On the other hand, difficult case to bring, as we talked about ad nauseum on this podcast, because there's so little precedent for bringing these kinds of charges, not just because it's a former president, although acting at the time as president, but because simply, you know, they, they have not brought cases even remotely uh, close to uh, what they yeah. are presumably considering bringing. So in some ways, I don't think Merrick Garland thinks this way, but there are probably people around him that do. This could be an easier way out if if at the end of the day they think they can't bring charges stemming from the January 6th assault. This is one that if they can satisfy the evidentiary questions that you were bringing up that yeah. they could bring, it would be an easier case. There is ample precedent for bringing these kinds of cases, and then you're done with it. Yeah. Well, look, I, I think in the end of the day, it's going to hinge on whether they have that direct testimony about Trump being involved in the decision making knowing what was in those documents, having an intention to do something with them, and an intention to keep them knowing that the Justice Department and the National Archives wants it, wants it back. I think that's what it hinges on. They may get there. It may be there. We just haven't seen it yet. I agree. They, they clearly do have witnesses, right? 
They're witnesses, yeah, but uh, but we don't know if those are witnesses who are having conversations with Trump himself. Okay, but they are right. witnesses who knew that the documents in, were that there. the documents were there, that where they, they were. were they, the Justice right. Department, the FBI went in with a great deal of certainty that they would be able to reco- recover those documents because they right. would not have taken any chance at all. So my guess is. They've got some pretty good, a good, really good witness or multiple good witnesses there. Yes, they, they, it would have to be people who had those kinds of conversations with Donald Trump. We don't know if that's who they are, but certainly the Justice Department should know that. Well, hopefully we will find out. In the meantime, we have a great guest to talk about this, uh, Bradley Moss. So let's get to it. We now have with us Bradley Moss, a veteran national security lawyer who has written about Donald Trump's legal troubles over his handling of classified documents. Brad, welcome to Skullduggery. Thanks for having me. I should point out that uh, full disclosure, Brad and his partner, Mark Zaid, actually represent me on um, a number of uh, Freedom of Information Act lawsuits. I will stipulate, uh, if it's okay with you, Brad, that this recording will not be covered by attorney-client privilege. That is, um, that is very true. It is not. Okay. So no privilege. Yeah, don't tell me where you hid the boxes. <laughs> okay. All right. You are convinced that the evidence laid out in the uh, FBI redacted affidavit last week is enough to get Donald Trump indicted. Tell us why. Sure. So what we saw in that affidavit, and I want to make clear that this opinion is just mine. It does not represent anything regarding the firm or Mark's views. Those are his own. But what the affidavit uh, laid out were two essential parts. One is that Donald Trump had in his possession at Mar-a-Lago post-presidency, properly marked classified documents sitting in, amongst other places, that storage room. Two, he was told by the government on more one occasion, you're not allowed to have these documents. They can't be there. What makes it worse for him, and the reason I believe this has crossed the line to a potential indictment, is that he then resisted the efforts to properly recover them. And he didn't just resist by playing legal games and dragging it out, but rather there appears to be sufficient evidence that he was trying to conceal records. He was relocating them within Mar-a-Lago. When they went in with the search warrant, they provided evidence to authorize searches, not just of the storage room, but in other locations within Mar-a-Lago, including Donald Trump's personal office and his personal uh, residence, which sure enough is where they found additional classified, properly marked classified documents. That indicates efforts to relocate them, to put them places where they were not originally located, where the government knew they were supposed to be, and reflects, in my view, an effort to obstruct the government's So Brad, let me follow up on this, because you wrote an op-ed piece in the Daily Beast in which you said that not only could he be indicted, but that he should be indicted. So let's drill down on this a little bit, because one of the things that, as you know, prosecutors are going to have to consider, will consider, is whether there is a precedent for these kinds of indictments and bringing charges in similarly situated cases. And you know some of the high-profile cases they'll be considering. One is Hillary Clinton, where they did not bring charges. Another, of course, is General Petraeus, where he was charged. So in your mind, looking at this case, looking at this affidavit, the evidence that we know about so far, what is it specifically 
that makes this case different in terms of, you know, either gross negligence, in terms of willful, willfulness, obstruction, all of the different considerations that prosecutors will have to make here. Sure. What puts this across the line for me is the obstruction element. If you look back at the number of cases that have been brought over the last 15, 20 years under the Espionage Act against individuals for unauthorized retention of information relating to national defense, which in this case is the classified information, there was always an element of obstruction tied into it. There was a deliberate effort to keep that in their possession, notwithstanding government efforts. So if you think to the case of the Navy sailor who was taking photos in the nuclear submarine, part of the reason he got in trouble wasn't just the photos, but that he tried to destroy the evidence. There's a number of cases like that over the last 15, 20 years. Numerous people have been prosecuted, pled guilty, and gone to jail for it. Where the Hillary Clinton's you know, saga comes in here, and Donald Trump is, of course, free when he, if he is indicted to stand before the judge and say, Your Honor, I plead but Hillary. But the difference with Hillary Clinton was none of the information was ever properly marked at the time. And what we had there was an issue of intent because the relevant provision was one that required intent that's not in play here for Donald Trump. With Hillary Clinton, what they faced was she had created this private server. It was only going to be able to talk to unclassified government systems. You can't talk to it from a classified system. People were sending her and she was sending back to those unclassified government emails, unmarked emails that contained within them information that was later deemed to be classified. That was reckless. That would have been grounds to revoke every person's clearance involved in it, but that has never, to my knowledge, ever been the basis without separate obstructionist elements bringing a criminal charge. That's why Hillary ultimately wasn't indicted. She was recklessly stupid in doing it, and it cost her the election. If she hadn't done it, she would have likely been president, but she did it, and that was why there was the investigation as it was. This is different. These are properly marked documents. Brad, let me bring up a number of other high-profile cases in recent years. Danny mentioned General Petraeus, who had highly classified documents that he shared with his girlfriend biographer. Those documents included the identity of sources for the U.S. military in Afghanistan. He was charged with a misdemeanor offense. No jail time, misdemeanor, paid a fine, moved on. Sandy Berger, takes classified documents from the National Archives, stuffs them in his socks and his pants, gets caught red-handed. He's also charged with a misdemeanor, pays a fine, no felony charges against him. John Deutsch takes classified information on his computer as CIA director, gets charged with a misdemeanor, and then gets pardoned by President Clinton. So given the previous history of the Justice Department charging these cases as misdemeanors, how do they justify or bring felony charges, which is what you're suggesting they're going to do here, against Trump? What distinguishes Trump from those other cases where there were misdemeanor charges? Sure. So to clarify one point, especially with Petraeus and now the one individual, uh, Sandy Berger, those weren't charges. That was what they pled down to. We don't know right. what an actual indictment would have looked like in the end, which charges they, which, you know, range of charges they could have brought. They pled down to misdemeanors. That misdemeanor isn't even a misdemeanor anymore. In 2018, Donald Trump signed into law 
a, a revision that makes it a felony. But that particular statutory provision wouldn't apply to Donald Trump because it has a caveat limiting its scope to an officer of the United States. Donald Trump as president arguably was beyond the scope of that statute. That's why it's not even referenced in the search warrant. They reference the Espionage Act provisions. And so with these other cases, with John Deutsch, with Sandy Berger, with David Petraeus, there were all reasons to believe that if that had gone through to a full prosecution and trial, there would have been felony charges attached to it. Sandy Berger never held a clearance again, never worked in the classified arena again. David Petraeus has never worked in the classified arena again ever since. Their careers in this in that community were over. And they did part of the reason they did that plea deal was to avoid anything worse. But with, think about David Petraeus. It wasn't just what he gave to his biographer, who herself had a clearance, and there would have been an argument about whether or not that was properly disseminated in that case. The problem for David Petraeus was he had code word classified notebooks sitting in his attic. He'd just been holding on to them. Okay, for so yeah, how do you distinguish Trump's case from Petraeus then? Sure. So Trump, mind you, Trump is free to plead down to whatever he wants if he wants to do that to avoid yeah. full pr prosecution. The difference here is the obstructionist element. With Trump, you have this effort to relocate and conceal and pre uh, prevent government officials from finding these records, specifically when they've been asking for them, not once, not twice, but three times. The archives is coming to him all throughout 2021. Where are these documents? Where are these documents? He finally turns over 15 boxes. They find all kinds of classified records in there. They follow back up with him. What the heck is all this? His lawyers send a lovely little, you know, obnoxious letter in May of 2022 saying you can't prosecute him anyways. Sure enough, they come back with the government comes back with a subpoena in June for more records, takes away more classified documents. They subpoena video surveillance. Sure enough, when they go for the search warrant, they outlined for the magistrate judge, and I'm waiting to one day see the full affidavit because I'm sure it'll give us the full context, but they outlined for the magistrate judge why they believe these records are not just in the storage room, but in these other locations around Mar-a-Lago. That is what distinguishes it. David Petraeus was just haphazardly reckless and just was basically storing stuff wherever he felt like it. Donald Trump was obstructing. Okay, well, so on that, Brad, have you seen so far overt evidence of obstruction or is it at this point solely based on the fact that the archives, the FBI was asking for this information and they didn't turn it over? I mean, isn't it conceivable that, they, that you know, they were in a state, you know, the place was in a state of chaos. They don't know exactly what they have. I, I know it might, might stretch credulity here. But what is the evidence of the overt evidence, the concrete evidence of obstruction so far? Sure. So it's not what happened that first year. You know, if... Donald Trump had turned everything over in December, December 2021, January 2022, and there was nothing left. You know, he dragged it out, it took a year, but he finally turned everything over and all the classified records were there. This never would have become a full criminal matter. The Justice Department would decline to go any further. But they already knew from that first batch that there were more records. They could, they could, the archives got identified. There were still records missing. And they went back to Trump's team. And mind you, Trump's team never filed anything in court during that time to bring a halt to this process. They didn't try to file a temporary restraining order to stop the archives from turning stuff over to FBI saying, these are all personal records under the Presidential Records Act, or we declassified all this, here's the proof. They never did anything. They sent a nasty you know, little letter, but that was it. They didn't file anything in court. So everything gets turned over to the FBI. And the FBI goes back and finds more records. And then they get video surveillance. 
And they outline again, we have evidence there's even more records. That's what makes, that's what distinguishes this is that they had to keep going back and they kept finding efforts by Trump's team to relocate and conceal everything. That's why he's in trouble. So Brad, I totally get why the Justice Department would be all over this matter. There are highly classified records. They are not being properly handled there. God knows who has access to Mar-a-Lago, uh, who could get access to these documents. But at the end of the day, to make an obstruction case, don't you think they need direct evidence that Trump was informed himself that there were highly classified records here and the Justice Department wanted them back? And he tells them, no, I don't. He tells somebody, I, no, don't give it to him. I want those. They're mine. I don't care what the government is saying. The kind of direct evidence and testimony that Mueller had, and I want to get into this in a minute, on the obstruction case he didn't recommend the Justice Department bringing in the Russia investigation. But you had the testimony of Don McGahn saying, you know, Trump told me to effectively lie. Trump told me to get Sessions to fire Mueller. Corey Lewandowski, I was told by the president to get Mueller fired. That kind of direct testimony from people who spoke to Trump or who had knowledge of what Trump was doing and saying. And so far, I believe we have not seen that in this matter. Correct. We haven't seen what the considerable or significant number of witnesses, however the government described it in the memorandum to seal, we haven't seen what they said. We have obviously reason to believe it's outlined in those redacted parts of the probable cause affidavit. And the reason we haven't seen it yet is because we can't put the witnesses at risk from intimidation and threats. That's why normally you don't see this affidavit this early in the process. Seeing a probable cause affidavit before an indictment is almost unheard of. We're getting extra transparency here because it's Donald Trump and because it's a- But back to my point, don't yeah. you think at the end of the day, the Justice Department is going to need that kind of evidence to bring an unprecedented case against a former president? Yes. They're going to have to prove not just that what Trump's lawyers were doing on his behalf. They're going to have to prove some measure of knowledge by Trump himself. And there's a level here which, you know, look, we know Donald Trump gets disconnected from details. Everybody knows that. That's always been his defense. Oh, I didn't know the details of what was going on. I'm just a big picture guy. That would be a viable excuse for, say, the first level production. He didn't know it was in the records. But when he gets put on a notice and his lawyers are responding on his behalf in May, when he gets searched and they're finding stuff in his personal office, his personal residence portion of Mar-a-Lago, we do assume he has no idea what's sitting around his own office, that he has no idea that people are just putting stuff in his closet and he doesn't know about it. There's a line here where you're defying credulity to imagine he truly doesn't know what's going on and that he had nothing to do with it. That is going to be the government's burden. We obviously do not know the full extent of what they put forward, but they certainly put forward enough to convince the magistrate judge. It's a one-sided discussion. That's certainly true. That's why there's a whole trial that comes if there's an indictment. But that is what we know so far. So, Brad, a main pillar of Trump's defense appears to be that he declassified these documents before leaving the White House, uh, that he, in effect, issued a standing order for all of this stuff to be uh, declassified. 
Two questions. One is, even if that were true, is it a total defense? My understanding is the Espionage Act, for example, doesn't require that the documents be classified. And that's one. And the second one is just, what is a standing order to declassify? Can a president just do that? Sort of, doesn't there have to be a process or can he just sort of wave a wand and declassify everything that he takes out of the Oval Office? Sure. So first, let's be clear. No evidence has been produced that there was ever such a standing order. But if there was one, if even if all the documents had been declassified, yes, under the relevant Espionage Act provision, it's not required this information be classified. The Espionage Act predates the modern classification regime. It only refers to information relating to the national defense. There's only one case I'm aware of in which the government's ever gone after unclassified information relating to the national defense. And I don't foresee that they would decide to try to bring a second one here against Donald Trump of all people. So what case was that, forward, by the way, the one that yeah, they... it was the it was about 11 years ago. Um, Steve Aftergood, who works for the Federation of American Scientists, brought it to my attention. It was an, a case against an individual who didn't even work for the government. But it was um, so it was unclassified non-government information that the government was able to demonstrate relate was information relating to the national defense. But that would be a much weaker case with it would be an with extremely weak case without ju- uh, jury appeal. So by the way, can that. I can I just break in here and say this is why a lot of civil libertarians have had problems with the Espionage Act for years. It is so loose that the government can you know willy nilly define anything as national defense information and prosecute somebody for possession of it, even when there are no classification uh, markings on it. Correct. And it also is, a you know, it's a red herring with the title, the Espionage Act. Majority of the provisions have nothing to do with spying or espionage. It's the unauthorized retention or unauthorized dissemination of information relating to national defense. That can be anything. The law needs to be revised. But putting that aside for the moment, there's no evidence there was a standing order. There could be such a thing. An incumbent president, the moment he or she takes office until the moment they leave office, has unfettered complete discretion to classify or declassify anything they want, with the exception of information classified under the Atomic Energy Act. So, Brad, does that weapon. mean that, that Trump could have gone into these documents uh, while he was still president and just started you know, tweeting sections of them, and that would have been legal? That would have been completely legal. There was nothing he could do with respect to the handling of classified information during his presidency that would result in a criminal issue unless it implicated the Atomic Energy Act. And so far, there's no indication that was ever the case. So this is a self-inflicted wound. Correct. So <laughs> let's, let's assume that he was going to try to issue a standing order. There's a process for doing this. So Donald Trump could wave his magic wand while president, as Cash Patel has been suggesting, and say, I declare everything in this box to be declassified. Great. You got to follow the process still. That's not just me saying it. That's the DOJ during Trump's era saying you still got to follow the process. Those documents have to be individually remarked and declassified. The markings have to be crossed out, has to be stamped, declassified. Wait, wait a second, Brad. Brad, the, the president's authority to declassify is constitutional, right? It, you know, the process you're talking about is not 
a constitutional one. And the argument of Trump's lawyers would be whatever you say about process, Donald Trump was the president and he had this unilateral constitutional authority to declassify whatever he wanted. You know, I, I get it. <laughs> Trump can produce zero evidence that he ever said such a thing or ever gave such an order. But just as a constitutional matter, I'm not I don't see how I process a DOJ ordered process can trump a constitutional authority of a president. And so here comes the nuance here is that when he left office, he no longer had any authority to hold in his possession anything still properly marked as classified. So he may have verbally ordered them declassified, but in order to possess them and retain them post-presidency, it became mandatory for him to ensure those markings were dealt with. Otherwise, anyone else seeing them would be obligated under the law to have returned them as properly marked classified documents sitting outside an authorized facility. So yes, this will be an interesting, fascinating constitutional debate in a, a pretrial motion if he is indicted. I'm sure they're preparing for that to some extent. There is no precedent. There is no case law on point. All we have are guide, you know, guidelines from past cases when it came up in FOIA matters, that there were processes that declassification orders issued by Donald Trump were not deemed to have actually gone into effect unless following certain following processes were taken. There were at least three different cases, one by myself, one by Jason Leopold, one by the New York Times, where each time the government came back and said, these weren't declassification orders, there's been no process, the information is still classified. That's going to work against him trying to now make this argument that even though he didn't follow the process, he could walk out of the White House with these properly marked classified documents. So what do you make of the uh, latest development, the federal judge in Florida, who has signaled her intention to name a special master to review the documents that the Justice Department and the FBI took from Mar-a-Lago. I don't know if you guys saw it as we were just getting ready to go on. The government's already filed an initial response to that, indicating they've already completed their review. The filter team's already done. They've identified a small set of potentially privileged records, and they're already running through the process on that. So the whole idea of a special master may be moot at this point anyway, which was why the Trump team should have filed that three weeks ago. But wait a second, does, does the does the judge have to accept the uh, the conclusions of the filter team? Nope. Or couldn't she say, well, I want the special master to see what this filter team did and and whether they got it right? She certainly can. What'll be interesting to see is how she frames a special master if she authorizes one. There's no such thing as a special master for classified information. There's no such thing as a special master for executive privilege information. The only potential privilege is attorney-client, and it's not clear. What I they thought want. her order says executive privilege. Her, she just referenced privileges generally. There's never been a special master for executive privilege, nor would it really make sense. And I'd be fascinated to see the ruling on it, how Donald Trump could keep from the executive branch information deemed executive, really, executive privilege information. It'd be a really interesting argument how he could keep that from the executive branch. It's their government documents. It's not his. Brad, if this case is, if, if the Justice Department indicts Trump and the case goes to trial, would you expect it to be tried in Washington, D.C., or is it possible that it could be tried in Florida? And would there be a fight over that? 
My expectation is that this will ultimately be fought out in Florida. That's where the documents were retained. That's where the obstruction ultimately occurred. And I think that's the most likely place for venue. There's an argument to bring it in DC because that's where they originally were located. That's where they were supposed to be. It's, it's a weaker argument in my view. And there's the obvious political overtone that if they brought it there, there'd be some you know, push to relocate it down to Florida. I have no concern with them being able to secure a conviction if they bring this in Florida. It would make Wadir very interesting. Yeah, I, I was going to say, it's no small thing uh, whether you bring it in Florida or D.C. In D.C., you have very little chance of having a pro-Trump juror on the jury. And in fact, it would look nakedly political if the Justice Department chose to go that route, because you know people would say, "Oh yeah, they're trying to bring it into a uh, uh, entirely hostile jury pool." You bring it in Florida, you got a good chance of getting Trump MAGA folks on that jury. Uh, I don't know how you exclude somebody based on their political views from a jury. You have to get them to say they can judge it honestly, but just because they might be a Trump supporter, I don't know that that's grounds how many rejections you get out of that. Yeah. And it it sort of infantilizes the idea of Americans as jurists to assume that just because they hold a particular political view, they can't otherwise be fair, even minded. That's ultimately a job for the prosecutors and, you know, for defense attorneys and voir dire. But that's the way the jury process works. And if the whole basis of Donald Trump's case and his defense is going to be hanging his hat on jury, you know, acquittal or an inability to, you know, reach a conclusion or a verdict, that's a pretty weak defense. That's the last line of defense there. And I don't expect that that's going to be as great of a you know, piece of leverage as he might think it is. So, Brad, you think he you think that Donald Trump can be indicted. You think he should be indicted. But do you think he will be indicted based on what you've seen so far by uh, a federal grand jury, whether it's in Washington or in Florida? <laughs> My personal view is that, yes, he will be indicted absent something else coming out, absent some proof of any of these other defenses they've brought about personal records, these all being designated as personal records under the Presidential Record Act, or that there was some manner of declassification that would kind of undermine the Espionage Act case. Absent that happening, I don't foresee any reason that this will result in anything other than an indictment. I could be wrong. And do you think in this case they would offer him a, uh, a plea deal to uh, plead down to a, uh, a misdemeanor? There's, there's no misdemeanor left to plead down to, okay. but I'm sure they would offer him a reduced you know, set of charges, whatever they are, with you know, potentially you know, sentencing recommendations, something along those lines. Donald Trump's not going to take a plea deal. Yeah. The last thing on earth that man is going to do is admit defeat. Okay, but here's here's what I think may be even the tougher question for DOJ. They also have this small thing called the January 6th investigation. And if you're going to indict Trump, presumably you want to make it your best shot. You got one shot to go after the guy and you want your strongest case. In terms of the 
gravity of the offenses here. I think the argument could be made that the efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 election and the pressure he put on the Justice Department and U.S. government officials and state officials to do so and inciting the mob that ransacked the Capitol on January 6th. Is it better? Would justice prefer to do that as opposed to the classified document dispute? I don't view them as mutually exclusive, Not putting aside But that, do you really think they'd bring two separate felony cases against Donald Trump? I think they absolutely could. And if anything, I view the classified documents issue as cleaner for them than the January 6th issue, which is going to likely be a conspiracy to defraud the United States charge. That gets tied up in multiple levels of you know, what he's allowed to do as president, issues of what he was just conveying to lawyers, issues of privilege. Speech um, issues. Yep. Speech, yeah, any number of problems that will get tied up in how to tie what was going down there to him specifically, as opposed to him just being a president, trying out different uh, legal and legislative options. And very little precedent for a case like that, whereas right. there's a lot of precedent for these you know, Espionage Act prosecutions. Yeah. Any number of people have been prosecuted under the Espionage Act for this type of case. It's, like I said, it's a much cleaner case. It's not the high profile trying to overturn the government case, which everybody's expecting to be brought by the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C., but it's a perfectly viable case. And I'm not in the, of the view at this point that he should be let off the hook on one just to wait for a possible charge in another. If he broke the law and there's a and there's a viable case under DOJ procedures, you bring the case. So let me just, I just want to clarify one point. You're emphasizing the obstruction element pretty heavily here. Would the indictment be an indictment for obstruction of justice itself? Or are you saying the obstruction would be an element of an Espionage Act gross negligence charge? No. So the Espionage Act provision that would be in the play isn't even gross negligence. It's the unauthorized and willful retention of information relating to national defense that he did not return. There would be a separate set of charges under at least one, if not two different provisions in the law. They're both identified in the search warrant that are essentially obstruction charges, but it's not an obstruction of justice charge. It's the you know concealment and it's the potential alteration of federal records. Those are obstructionist type charges. But, but wait That's a second, those, those are not restricted to classified documents, Correct. right? So what we're talking about is it could be non-classified material, any Correct. record of the government that he happened to have taken with him to Mar-a-Lago. That seems broader and a bit weaker, actually, in the only, terms of making the case. The reason to bring that case. as a component is because that's why they would have chosen to bring the espionage act. The moment they found classified records at Mar-a-Lago, they could have brought an espionage act case. But the government generally never does that when they find this stuff. Generally, they're happy with administrative remedies that, of course, aren't available with respect to Donald Trump or otherwise they just let it go. They recover the documents, they're happy. The reason I'm setting to these obstruction provisions is because that's the supplement that indicates why they chose to cross this line, because it's not just the willful retention, it's the efforts to resist and conceal. The fact of the, these, these two provisions don't have anything to do specifically to classified as opposed to unclassified information is irrelevant. The reason they're being brought up is because of the classified element and because of the larger case strategy. 
So, you know, I got to say, when you said that the charge could revolve around not even gross negligence, but just the retention of classified documents. Now, us in the media, <laughs> you know, I get my hair up a little bit when I hear that. I have had in possession at various times classified documents as a reporter, right? Many of my fellow journalists have who do this. If we're talking about somebody having possession of classified documents that they're not entitled to, and that's the basis for the charge, it seems like you're opening the door to um, prosecutions that could go pretty far, including against members of the media. Sure. So let's clarify here. The majority of Espionage Act cases that have been brought under this standard have always been people who originally worked in government in some form, usually had security clearances, and then removed the documents. This has never been brought as a criminal case against a media outlet, a journalist of any kind. And candidly, it never will be. But it always could. The way the law is written, nothing ever stopped that. That was a matter of prosecutorial discretion. So think about it this way. Just like you've had those classified records, I've had in my possession classified records in this home office I'm talking to you from where the government accidentally gave them to me. They then notified me like two days later saying, hey, by the way, in that whole file we just gave you, we, we realized we accidentally gave you stuff that's still properly marked as classified. But we need to come retrieve it. I, of course, said yes. They came. They did their whole spiel and they took the documents back. If I had resisted, if I had tried to conceal where the records were, if I had tried to alter them, that could have put me in true legal jeopardy, even though otherwise they didn't really care. They were just happy to recover it. That's what's distinguishable here is that if you as a journalist say paid someone to go break into wow. a classified system and then rec retrieve it and give it to you, that puts you in uh, at risk right. in ways the otherwise are not. That's what originally, when they brought the charge against Julian Assange, that's right. what it was all about, was hacking, telling him how to right. hack into a system. No, I, I get that. But look, Edward Snowden leaked massive amounts of highly classified documents to members of the news media who retain them and publish them. What bothered me a little bit about what you said is that if the charge is unauthorized retention or possession of classified documents, that could set a pretty dangerous precedent. For that precedent's already been set. Of all the people who've already been prosecuted for unauthorized retention of classified documents, there's gentlemen from NSA who'd been storing documents for 15 years, got prosecuted. There was the lady um, just a few months ago who got sentenced, who had taken classified documents home with her. They are all, that precedent long ago was established, but there's an understood policy, a matter of discretion, that the government, one, won't go after journalists unless there's a separate element, a separate criminal act, such as paying someone to break in or trying to you know, conceal them or alter them. That's the distinguishing aspect why it has never been applied to anybody else. But yes, as written, it could apply to any of us who've ever come into possession to properly mark classified documents. It could be used if we went on to WikiLeaks and looked at those classified records that were placed there in theory that law could be applied there. The government's never going to do that, but it's written broadly enough to do so. You know, one thing that struck me is that, as far as I can tell, there's been no discussion of Trump disclosing any of these classified documents, uh, because wouldn't, a dis wouldn't say, 
you know, he's got some, you know, some of his supporters, uh, donors who are visiting Mar-a-Lago, and he goes to his little file of documents, pulls out the letter from Kim Jong-il or, or whatever else it is that he thinks is cool and shows it to these people. Would, that would, would do it. Wouldn't that do it? Yeah. <laughs> that, that would make that would the make case. It, that yeah. would make it worse. And that would certainly give additional incentive to bring a case, but that's not required to bring one. And like I said, the past, you can just Google all the past prosecutions under the Espionage Act that hasn't been required. The Navy sailor is sitting there just taking selfies in the nuclear sub. He didn't give it to anybody, but he took those selfies and then he tried to destroy the evidence. That was the end of the case. You know, I mentioned before the uh, the Mueller obstruction matter because that just came up last week because we got a copy of the OLC memo to William Barr that uh, argued why the evidence compiled by Mueller did not rise to the level of bringing obstruction of justice charges, even when they had the testimony of people like McGahn and Lewandowski and others who had direct conversations with Trump on this matter. And and of course, you know, on Twitter, on cable TV, everybody was denouncing the OLC memo as a complete whitewash. You know, one small point on that, it seemed to, you know, the statute of limitations had not run out when Merrick Garland took over the uh, Justice Department and he didn't choose to bring obstruction charges against the president, the former, the then former president. Doesn't that sort of signal a bit about just how cautious Garland is likely to be? And how would you argue that the obstruction here is more compelling than it was in the case of the Russia matter? Sure. So if we use William Barr's standard for when, you know, conspiracy to suborn perjury comes into play and actually could be prosecuted, it's a pretty lax standard. One, it was assuming the person is still the president and Donald Trump no longer is the president. Two, it was considering the idea that there was no underlying crime, that it was conspiracy to suborn perjury about something that wasn't a crime. That was part of the excuse that Barr used with respect to Donald Trump telling him again to go lie to Mueller about whether or not he had sold him to fire him. Of course, Donald Trump had the legal authority to fire Robert Mueller if he had wanted to do so. So there was no crime underlying that issue. Even if that was the standard here, and mind you, there's people filling our jails who've been prosecuted for less when it comes to conspiracy to spawn perjury, even if that was the standard, there is an underlying crime. It's the unauthorized retention of information relating to the national defense. That's right. the underlying criminal conduct. That's what does not save him here. I get the, you know, the issue with Merrick Garland not pursuing the Mueller outlet, the recommendations. I don't think he wanted to play that political game to basically re reverse his predecessor and now bring a prosecution that DOJ had previously said did not qualify. I understood that. That would have been you know, nakedly political in that front. No matter the legal merits, you never would have convinced people that that wasn't anything but politics. That's not at play here. If anything, they've been overly cautious and overly accommodating to Donald Trump in a way they never would be to you, me, or anyone else. 
Brad Moss, I want to thank you for your insights into this. You have made a pretty bold, clear prediction that there will be an indictment. We are going to hold you to that and come back to you to see if you're right I'll, or wrong. I'll eat, I'll eat crow if I'm wrong. <laughs> well, we love it when people eat crow on Skullduggery. Especially when we eat yeah, crow. We yeah. do it all the time. So it's the perils of doing a podcast. Yeah. But anyway, thanks a lot. Anytime.